We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Blue Wire. With the third pick in the 2020 NBA Draft, the Charlotte Hornets select LaMelo Ball from Chino Hills, California. TJ. Oh, goodness! Stunning! With the left hand! Devontae Deep! Oh, my goodness! Oh, I don't believe it! A 35-and-a-half grand! Just stop it already! All right. Welcome into another Buzz Beat, a post-game edition. The Charlotte Hornets just wrapped up beating the Orlando Magic 107-104 with a strong fourth quarter, outscoring the Orlando Magic 33-18 to in that quarter. Uh, some tough shot-making and some great shot-making down the stretch by, by Gordon Hayward to bring a win to the Charlotte Hornets and snap their four-game lose streak here. And joining us today, uh, we got Lee Branscombe of the Witch Carolina podcast. He's been on the pod before. Welcome, Lee. How's it going? Great. Always good to be on the BuzzFeed pod. Always good to talk a little Charlotte Hornets, especially after a kind of thrilling win, honestly. Very thrilling win. And heading into this game without Markel Fultz, without Aaron Gordon, I think most people would have expected the Hornets to win, but definitely not in the fashion that they won this game today. So first off, I think the most obvious place to start for me is Gordon Hayward, not just because he had the game winning shot to give the Hornets the win here, but just just because what he does for this team in terms of a a player that can go get you a bucket when you need it whether it's in the half court, whether it's in transition, they can run offense through him at the elbow. They can give him the ball and have him initiate offense to start a possession. There's a lot of different ways that you can get Gordon Hayward going. And he scored in a variety of methods tonight, whether it is, uh, you know, snaking pick and rolls and keeping the opponents on his back and getting all the way to the rim. He had a transition pull-up three-pointer at one point in this game. And then you saw his fourth quarter as well, where uh, the Hornets leaned on him, as well as Devontae. And even Rozier came up with a couple of big shots towards the end. But Gordon Hayward may not be worth the money in year three, but he's definitely (laughs) worth the money right now, Lee. Gordon Hayward. I mean, at this point, build a Hayward statue outside of Spectrum Center. <laughs> you know, we're 16 games in and I'm ready. I'm ready to build the statue. So you made a couple interesting points. I mean, 
Number one, it's nice to see that Gordon Hayward seems to be aware that he basically has to get 35 a night for us to win ballgames. That's just where we are right now, especially on a night where Rozier and Graham were struggling in the first half. Now, obviously, Devontae started to really come around in the second half during that run. Um, But Gordon's basically uh, 50-40-90 right now on the field for his shooting splits, which is incredibly efficient and nearly impossible to do. Um, and you're right. You know, how, how long has it been since the Charlotte Hornets have had a two way wing that they could give the ball to an isolation at the end of a game and, and attack a defender for a game winning layup. Another interesting point, the, the Gordon Hayward pick and roll at the end of ball games has been really key for the Charlotte Hornets, whether that's with Devonte Graham, a lot of times, or even with LaMelo ball at times, pick popped Gordon Hayward against Cole Anthony off the switch late in that game with like a minute to go. And he just shot a mid range jumper right over him and the isolation play against Fournier that that won the game. Um, So yes, Hayward has been unbelievable. And I think that uh, Gordon Hayward as a screen setter late in games is a really interesting wrinkle offensively. That's been good. Yeah. You mentioned that, that play late in the game where he was a screener and then they had Cole Anthony on him. And uh, he had full confidence just to take that shot right in his face, kind of around the free throw line extended area. But after that, after that point, Terrence Ross did hit a three late in the game uh, to tie this game at 8.7 seconds left to go. There was a point too, Lee, there, where Hayward had eight straight points for the Hornets in the fourth quarter. One was a wide open three-pointer in the corner, if you remember that, where he took his time. And I'm not sure what the Magic were doing on defense, but he found himself in that right corner for three um, he had a pull-up mid-range shot, and this is not the one I'm talking about with Cole Anthony. He had a made free throw, and he had an aggressive, you know, drive to the rim for a layup. Speaking of free throws with Gordon Hayward, he missed he missed quite a few tonight. You mentioned the 90% from the free throw line, but past couple games, he, he's missed some, and I'm sure he's uh, wanting those back, wanting those back for sure. The only thing he hasn't done well, right, the past We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Couple nights. Now, a couple other players that I do want to mention. Uh, Devontae Graham, I think you mentioned the last time you joined us, potentially that he was starting to break out of his slump. And the past, you know, handful of games for Devontae, you're starting to see that trend going upwards. And he was huge in this game for the Hornets, made several threes. He even had a three late in the game that actually gave the Hornets their first lead in what seemed like forever. I think it was like 91-90 at that point. It's funny, on the next possession, he went for a heat check, missed it. But it's good to see that confidence from Devontae. And I think 
that's going to start to trend in the right direction, but also pairing him with LaMelo, mm-hmm. rooting him on. I think there, there's no tension. I don't, I don't think there's any tension between Devontae Graham and LaMelo Ball. And I don't know if many people thought that he felt this pressure because LaMelo was drafted third overall, and maybe that was the reason for the slow start. But regardless, he's playing well right now, and he was a big reason as to why the Hornets won this game. Yeah, and, you know, a couple things on that. N- number one, Borrego is slowly but surely becoming a little more confident with the three-guard lineup, and that's with LaMelo Ball, Devontae Graham, and Terry Rozier all on the floor together at the same time. We haven't seen it a ton, but the farther along in the season we get, we're seeing it a little bit more and more, and that was the group at the beginning of the fourth quarter, down 12, Ball, Rozier, Graham, Bridges, Washington, Mm -hmm. that cut the lead from 12 to 5 in what felt like a split second, and then all of a sudden we were back in the game. So I think to your point, not only do I think that there's no tension, I think that Borrego is actually starting to figure out more ways for them to play together, which is a good thing. And if Devontae Graham, who I think maybe has a little bit unfair expectations, um, because he got such a reputation as a shooter last year, even though he wasn't like above 40% as a three-point shooter. He was a volume shooter at a good percentage. So I don't think we can expect him to shoot the ball like 43% from three on the year. But if he can climb up into those high 30s, that's going to make our offense a lot more efficient because this offense is taking mostly the right type of shots from like an offensive profile standpoint. They just haven't made them at a high clip. So the more shot-making that Devontae Graham can provide – the more efficient the offense can theoretically be. And that's what that's what you saw, especially in the fourth quarter. And he's not only hitting threes. He had several mid-range shots as well. Yep. I, I like to see that he's developing a game inside the three-point line. If he doesn't ever develop a shot at the rim, that's that's fine. I mean, I, he's, he's got to at least develop either a floater or a mid-range shot. That's got to come to make him a little bit more versatile on the offensive end. And, and to the point earlier about the tension between Devontae Graham and LaMelo Ball. We both don't agree that there's anything there, but there was a play in the second quarter in which Vucevic went for a rebound. LaMelo Ball steals the ball. He goes to the corner uh, and is wide open for three. And you see in the background, Devontae Graham, like literally right behind him, cheering him on as he goes for that corner three-point shot, which he did make. And it's funny, uh, a little bit later, probably like a couple possessions later, LaMelo Ball tries to do the same thing. And I don't know if you saw this, but uh, Vucevic, Threw like a little elbow at Lamella yeah. when he tried to when he tried to steal. He didn't connect by any means, but it was very subtle, very subtle. Yeah, he's like, get out of here! You already stole it from me once. And Lamella got that really good uh, defensive anticipation that kind of it shows itself in a lot of different ways. Whether that's in the passing lane or just poking away a defensive rebound, he can be electric in, in that sense. And and he was at times tonight. And you know, I'm sure you were gonna go here at some point, but like. I feel like the LaMelo Miles Bridges pairing when it's right is so fun. And when those two give us the lift they did off the bench tonight, that gives the Hornets such a better chance to be successful because we know the starting lineup hasn't been great from a net rating standpoint. So if we can win the minutes of the, of the bench unit with those two, I think that's massive. And, And tonight they were able to do that. Yeah, the bench points were 35 to 25. And if you look at the bench points for the Chicago Bulls game, it was a much different situation on Friday night. So that was one thing that had to get corrected. 
bring more energy off the bench. It feel it almost feels like where the Hornets can go as far as Miles and LaMelo go. If, if they're not having a good game coming off the bench, it's going to take a 40-point game from Gordon Hayward and a 25-point game from Devontae Graham, and everything's got to work right for the Hornets um, if, if that bench unit is not working well. But those two continue to pair well together. There was a play in the third quarter where LaMelo Ball obviously was bringing the ball up the court. There's a little staggered screen that goes on, and then – Bridges just slips to the rim, and there's an alley-oop there. And then there's another play in the fourth quarter, which actually didn't lead to an assist to Miles, but it actually led to an assist from LaMelo to Devontae, where they ran somewhat of a similar play where he was coming off a pick-and-roll, Miles and LaMelo, and he almost made the the alley-oop, but it was just too tight of a window. And LaMelo Ball leaves his feet, <laughs> fires it over to Devontae Graham for a three. Yeah, I think we would be less impressed by these passes by LaMelo by now because we cover the Hornets on this podcast. But I think there's a there's a pass every single game that you're just like, whoa, like I can't believe he made that. And there's multiple, multiple tonight from LaMelo. Yeah, it, well, just like you said, if not multiple. I mean, in the first half, I'm sure you'll remember LaMelo was standing kind of like in front of our bench and threw the one-handed fastball to Miles Bridges mm-hmm. underneath the lane, which was, again, just kind of a jaw-dropping pass from him to an easy bucket. So, yeah, I mean, look, LaMelo Ball is, I mean, I don't want to put a number on it, but he is already one of the best passers in the NBA at 19 years old. And you and me have talked about the flaws that he still has that he, and places he has to improve but as a as a unique creator and visionary passer, he's got it, man. And it and it and it's only gonna become, you know, more and more transcendent the older he gets and the more the young core develops around him too. So I, I think if you're a Hornets fan, you know, and I you've got to be just thrilled with what we have in the third pick. I you know, again. There, there are areas he's going to have to improve. His shooting has slipped a little bit over the past two weeks. But from an instinct standpoint on both sides of the floor, he's just he's just got he's overflowing with those instincts, which is so hard to find. Yeah, LaMelo finished with 11 points and eight assists tonight. Let's go ahead and have this conversation right now. I was going to wait for the end of the podcast to have this. But since we're talking about LaMelo Ball, there's been a lot of chatter out there that what happened in the Chicago Bulls game on Friday night uh, was the wrong move by Borrego in terms of yanking him. You know, he only played less than two minutes in that third quarter. And a lot of people were saying that you you need to play the third overall pick through his mistakes. And Borrego came out, you know, the next day basically stating that, you know, if you're not bringing the energy on the defensive side of the court, if you're turning the ball over in the way that he did, it didn't make a whole lot of sense to play LaMelo in that situation. He wasn't offering much for the Hornets. Now, I think some would argue that, you know, with the way or with the situation that the Hornets are in, they're in a quote unquote rebuilding phase. There's a lot of young players on this team that the priority for winning games might not be as high on the, you know, the totem pole here. So why aren't you just playing your third overall pick? I mentioned after the game that I did not think that it was unwarranted from Borrego to do that. I think his turnovers and everything that he was good at, 
you know, for the most of the season, he wasn't bringing it that night. And I think there's a lot of chatter with LaMelo fans coming on Twitter and saying, hey, you know, fire Borrego. What, what, kind, what kind of move is he making here by pulling LaMelo and not playing him, you know, at all in the fourth quarter and really just so little minutes in that game against Chicago. But here's the thing. Tonight, tonight, he comes out, he plays loose. It's not like he's holding any kind of grudge over Borrego because he got pulled. You saw that the way that he was dribbling the ball, the passing the ball, LaMelo Ball, to me, the way that he played Friday night, it just didn't make a whole lot of sense to keep him out there. Yeah, look, I mean, you know, it's probably uh, more popular to kind of like entrench yourself on one side or the other of this argument. But honestly, the answer for me lies somewhere in the middle. There is a there is a fine line to negotiate. You do with young players you do have to ride this line of letting them play through their mistakes while still trying to instill a certain amount of accountability. And that's a struggle that any coach is going to have with young, with really talented young players. So there is some truth to both sides of this kind of jabber on Hornets Twitter. That is like, again, that's a tough line to negotiate. But like you said, I think the most important thing here outside of all the noise, outside of all the Twitter stuff, LaMelo Ball had a massive bounce back game in a win after being benched in the fourth quarter. And that tells you a lot about him, mm-hmm. uh, his kind of internal drive to improve and be successful in the NBA. And that also tells you a lot about him and Borrego's relationship that they have an understanding. And would I have liked to see him go back to LaMelo once in that fourth quarter because there wasn't a lot of other things going well for the Hornets in that game either? Sure. But I'm not going to get like upset about it because at the same time you have to instill that accountability and LaMelo has to understand that there's a certain um, level that he needs to play to. And when he does play to that level, like he did tonight, he's going to be out there a ton. He's going to be in certain closing lineups and he's going to impact winning. So it's a cop-out answer to a degree, but the truth falls somewhere in the middle, just like a lot of things. And, And I think we just need to, focus on his overall learn long-term development because we've got a real opportunity here to develop a 19 year old that could kind of change the direction of this franchise in some ways for the next decade. So, you know, let's, let's take a long-term view here is all I'm saying. (laughs) Yeah. You're probably right in terms of uh, most answers falling somewhere in the middle, even though it seems somewhat of a cop-out answer, but in terms of tonight's game, he actually did not play a ton in the fourth quarter. He was not, I don't think he was part of that closing lineup by any means. You know, that's fine. That's what I actually thought in my head that he was going to close with LaMelo. And, but I think the opening, the opening group that played, like you mentioned, that was the group that got the energy back for this team. And um, exactly. he, he just went with the players that worked at the time. And I, I don't, I don't disagree with that decision with James Borrego there. Now, I do want to talk about some of the negatives with this game because yeah. clearly it came down to the last second and Hornets needed to outscore the the Magic 33-18 in the fourth quarter just to win this game. Now, there's been some common themes with this team, not just this year, just over the past several years when it comes to offensive rebounding mm-hmm. and allowing teams to obviously get second chance points. And and that was a big issue. It felt like, especially like in the second and third quarter. And here's my thing. It's 
with the Hornets going small, now clearly you're, you're going to be giving up some size and that obviously is going to affect you on the defensive glass. When you play zone and you don't have someone in your vicinity to box out, that's going to hurt you. But one of the one of the biggest things to me with this Hornets defense is allowing penetration. And when the penetration comes to the middle of the paint, all eyes go off of your man and they're now focused on collapsing and scrambling. So that too... I don't think a lot of people realize that perimeter defense eventually has a domino effect on boxing people out down the line. So that you can't overlook with how the Hornets struggle to grab defensive boards sometimes. Yeah. I mean, look, uh, uh, an incredible fourth quarter masked what was otherwise a pretty ugly performance by this Hornets team and a performance that has not been unfamiliar over the past, you know, two weeks with the losing streak. So as much as there are great things to talk about, I think it's, I think it's instructive to kind of pull some of the negatives out here too, because the Hornets are still not shooting the ball at an above league average rate, even though they're taking good shots, they're also allowing one of, if not the most amount of threes to their opponents. Mm -hmm. And a lot of that is, like you said, poor closeouts, uh, poor containment on kind of isolation attacks from dribble uh, opponents, dribbles uh, off the dribble. Sorry. And, um, and then we get in that scramble situation where to your point, we're not only running around with our heads on, you know, our shoes on fire, trying to cover up open shooters, but we're also leaving ourselves exposed on the defensive glass. So it's like, it's a compounding effect there. So, I mean, and it was a common theme through the past losses. Like you can just look at the Raptors two games individually where we gave up 53s and 49 threes and the Raptors hit 40 and 42% from three, that kind of trend played out over those losses. Magic made a bunch of threes tonight as well. And the Hornets were lucky in their, in their early season going that they were allowing some of the highest amounts of threes by their opponents, but their opponents were shooting one of the poorest percentages from three. So that's regressing to the mean now and and teams are making their threes. So how is Borrego going to be able to shore up that man-to-man defense to eliminate some of these just massive amounts of three volumes from opponents now that they're hitting them and you can't play the zone probably more than 10 to 15% of possessions against the NBA team. So I like it as an off-speed pitch at times, mm-hmm. but it's not something you can just give good NBA teams a consistent diet of because they're going to they're going to they're going to shred it up. Yeah, they're going to find ways to to get it to the middle because that's always the way to beat a zone and once when it gets to the middle it feels like the Hornets collapse and they you know, the opponents make a couple of swings and it feels like it always ends up with an open corner three-point shot yep. and to your point, before we started recording this, you were talking about how it felt like Orlando was hitting everything, regardless if it was contested, uncontested, whether it was good defense or bad defense. Eventually, the shots weren't going to fall for Orlando, considering you know they didn't have a team of full health. They didn't have their best players out there, right. and still the Hornets struggled to put this you know put this game away. Obviously, they, they didn't put this game away until you know 0.7 seconds left on the clock. But the point I'm getting at is, is that. The Orlando Magic were hitting shots more frequently than they probably should from behind the arc coming into this game. They were not a good three-point shooting team. They were a team that uh, lived in the mid-range. And it's funny, if you look at the stats, not many shot attempts at the rim for either team this game. And that's 
that's common for the Orlando Magic, but obviously that's not common for, yep. for the Charlotte Hornets here. I was going to ask you about the zone, but you started to talk about it, and it does feel like Borrego uses it a little bit too much, a little bit too much. NBA teams think, like you – go ahead. I was just going to say, I, you know, we, there was a stretch there, like particularly against the Knicks, where it felt like we played like 80% of our possessions in zone against the Knicks, where yes. – Maybe, and the Knicks are, are not a great shooting team and they did not shoot the ball great against us by any means. So maybe this is Borrego trying to play that card a little bit too much and realizing through the you know past five or six games that he's got to dial back that percentage diet a little bit of zone. And, and I don't think we saw it as much tonight as we have in the games past. One other, I think, concern is just, you know, our center minutes, like, the PJ at the five minutes have been super productive, but you can't always lean on that. Obviously mm-hmm. Zeller working himself back into the lineup, I think is going to be important. So biz doesn't have to play 25 plus minutes a game, even though obviously at times biz gives us a huge lift on the defensive glass and things of that nature. So I don't, I don't know that there's a fix on this current roster for us having much more productive center minutes besides maybe Zeller working his way back into form and being more productive. Is that is that kind of how you see it? Yeah. Borrego talked about not having a minutes restriction for Zeller. And I don't know if this is a minutes restriction, the fact that he's playing 15 minutes a night for the past couple of nights, or is it just him working back into the rotation? Right. He, he mentioned that of Biombo, Washington, and Zeller, he would ultimately like to play two in the heavy minutes kind of category where the one starts to see just, you know, spot minutes here or there. And I think most Hornets fans would probably assume that it would be Zeller as well as PJ Washington. But at this point, you know, the two games back for Zeller, Biombo has started both games. Uh, We, we love what we see from Zeller, but you know, he's got to work that, that synergy and that chemistry with all these teammates because he's only played basically two and a half games really is, is really what he's played with this team. And I, I think eventually it will kind of go in that direction where Zeller's seeing more minutes. Uh, I think a lot of the slow starts for the Hornets this season is because they can't get anything going offensively. And the one player in that starting unit that kind of bogs things down yeah. happens to be Biombo. I, I, I've mentioned this before. I love what Biombo brings energy-wise, yep. defensive-wise. I do think he's still kind of a little bit over-criticized at times, but... Eventually, I do think Cody Zeller needs to see 25 minutes while Biombo yeah. needs to see the the 15 minutes. So, yeah, that that would be my take on it. I do think it's going to be maybe, you know, in a week or two, that's when you're going to start to see things shift with the center rotation. But personnel here, and, and kind of going back to the defensive conversation, personnel can only get you so far with this team. I mean, yeah. if you look at this team, who, who is a good all on-ball defender on this team, would you say? I mean, Miles Bridges has shown some improvement. I mean, Harry Rozier gets a lot of those assignments, but he's certainly not an elite on-ball defender. Right. No doubt about that, you know. Yeah. Um, but, you know, he, he, he gets those assignments, like I said, at most nights, as long as he doesn't have a massive size differential. Um, obviously – I think Gordon Hayward's a serviceable on-ball defender, but again, yeah, I mean, I think your main point here is the Hornets are still a super young team, and there is a ceiling on this roster from a talent personnel standpoint. That's just the reality, and that's okay, because 
our front office it has started to really show um, the ability to draft well. And in the long term, it's going to be developing this core and it's going to be continuing to hit in the draft. That's the path to success. And Gordon Hayward continuing to play at a Hall of Fame level. All right, guys, so Hornets did rally. They beat the Magic on a last-second shot by Gordon Hayward. Uh, Just to wrap things up, Gordon Hayward did finish with 39 points on 15 of 25 shooting. Uh, He was 5 of 8 from deep, had 9 rebounds and 1 assist. I'm going to end this podcast on a conversation that I had with Borrego. I'm going to go ahead and play the clip, and then we're going to react to it and wrap up the pod here. This is a very wide open question. It doesn't really pertain to any specific person. Um, In today's game, many people preach, you know, versatility, having players that can play multiple positions. But um, very philosophical question here. But let's say you have a player that's really good at two things. Do you ever think that if you force that player to be more versatile or try to take on a bigger role that it could take away from his original strengths? Or is it always necessary to push these players out of their comfort zone? Yeah, I think that's a good question. I think it's an overall development question. And, you know, in general, over my history of being in development programs, you really want to focus on two or three things in general for a player. And you want them to be good, if not great, in those areas and really um, master those areas. When you do, there's times when you try to stretch a player too far, they lose what they originally were good or great at. Um, and I think that's, you know, that comes down to coaching at times. You can lose a little bit of a player's strength if you try to stretch him too much. But the other, the flip side of that, Richie, if you never try to stretch a guy, you don't know what you have. So it, it's a balance there and it's a, it's a, it's a fine balance, but in general players need to do and do what they do well. And, and in general, sticking to a couple skills is extremely important. Um, but there's been guys that have been asked you know, to do a little bit more and they've handled it and they become a more complete player. You just have to go through that process. Um, and sometimes you find out that players just can't handle it. They're just going to be a three and D guy and that's, that's okay. And they fill, they, they fill a role there and you don't ask them to do more or less than that. And I've been around a lot of players that have made a lot of money in this league and won championships and they have banners hanging in the rafters uh, just doing that, that role. I did X, Y, and Z, nothing less, nothing more. The reason I asked that, Lee, was because there are certain players on this team that I feel like have a little bit of a different role this season. And it's hard for me to know if, you know, it's obviously only 15, 16 games into the season, if they are better off with their role from last season just because that's where they excelled. I think Borrego is pushing these players to be something that they're not at times. P.J. Washington is what is kind of what I'm getting at. I didn't mention his name in the question, but last couple of games I've noticed the closer he is to the basket, the more effective he's been, uh, whether that's punishing switches in the post, whether it's hook shots, little push shots, floaters. That is something that you saw a lot at Kentucky. He did have a pick-and-pop game a little bit last year, but with the way that he's playing this year, you're just seeing him a lot more on the ball pull-up shots, that's just that's just not, I don't feel like that's his game. Like, I don't feel like pull-up shots is his game. Now, to Borrego's point in his response here, if you never push a player to try these different skills, you'll never know what you can get. So I'm hopeful that P.J. Washington can adapt to this new role, and I think it would be best for this offense to, to be a player that's very versatile, that can play the four, 
that can play the five, that can play inside, that can play out. But I feel like his role is is very different this year or just by the eye test, it feels different. And I'm not sure it's working in the way that I think Borrego wants it to work, but maybe it's one of those things that it's working for the team as a whole. But to me, PJ Washington, the closer he is to the basket, the better he becomes. When you put the ball in his hands as a playmaker, I think he can pull that off, but it doesn't feel like he's as effective doing that versus, you know, when he's down on the block. Yeah, I think it's kind of how you worded it in the question. Like it's a super fascinating, like, theoretical debate to have about player development. And James Borrego has been a really good player development coach so far with the Charlotte Hornets, in my opinion, and obviously comes from a pedigree of player development with the San Antonio Spurs um, to where he has a really like astute answer on that, obviously. And to your point about PJ, I think he has progressed as a rim protector um, this year, which has Uh, paid dividends on the defensive end. And I think is part of the reason why it has allowed the PJ at the five minutes to be more productive than they were last year. On the other hand, I also completely agree with you that at times PJ Washington seems reluctant to punish switches and he has done it a, a, a good bit over the past couple games. And you mentioned the jump hook or baby hook, whatever you want to call it. It feels like he hasn't missed one of those in a week or a month. So <laughs> I need him to, I want him to do that more as well. I hope that James Brego and the staff have um, noticed that it seems like they have, and they are talking to PJ and kind of implementing that in, 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 in the, in the game flow strategy, especially when he has a guy like Gary Clark on him tonight, like, You've got to make that a long evening for Larry Clark trying to guard P.J. Washington in the post. Um, so, yes, I think um, P.J. has had places of development where he's better this year. I also think he is adjusting to a new offensive mm-hmm. role. Mm-hmm. That Those growing pains are going to continue to show themselves. But if, uh, if he can focus a little bit more on that mid-post back down, those baby hooks, those jump hooks – um, he's fantastic at him. He needs, and he he needs to show it more. It's it's not like one of those things where I've, I mean, maybe, maybe, maybe too much is being added to his plate this year. I mean, that, that, that could potentially be a reason as to why it just doesn't feel like he's developing as that playmaker, that pull up shooter from deep. Uh, he's still effective and he has been effective in the past handful of games, but I don't want to get away from what he was so good at you know, coming into this, coming into the league. So that's, that's why I asked the question. It wasn't so much questioning, you know, the role at all. Just, I just wanted to hear his thoughts on, on that. So, all right. Any lasting thoughts, Lee, before we wrap here, what a crazy game that the Hornets just pulled off. Any uh, other thoughts about the team as a whole? Well, um, you know, we do it all over again with Orlando. Um, tomorrow night so um you know we'll run it back and again i think one thing i am watching is from a man-to-man defensive standpoint can this team improve cutting off dribble penetration can they include can they improve as closeout defenders can they not leave their feet on every single ball fake that we see And, and if they can if they can hone in defensively keep this defense in the top 15 ish range that's a massive improvement year over year. And if they can start making shots at a little bit higher of an efficiency clip and, and get that offense a little bit closer to league average, 
you're looking at a potential playoff team. Uh, but but those are hard. Those are easy things to say, and they are hard things to execute against NBA competition. So I guess those would be kind of the two things that I'm I'm really still honed in on watching. Yeah. You, you want to see if the Hornets can win with Hayward only scoring 20 points versus 40 points, right? Right. Yeah. <laughs> Rozier and Graham take some pressure off yeah. them for Pete's sake. Yeah. Rozier had an interesting game today because he just yeah. wasn't effective at all in the first three quarters, but he did, you know, come up with some great plays towards the end. Like Lee mentioned, they have a back-to-back with the Magic, one of these, like, baseball series, two-game yeah. series here. Hopefully they can get the brooms out and sweep the Magic. Thanks again for joining us, and we will see you guys next time. Whether you're a world-class athlete or a podcaster like me, we all understand the importance of mental and physical well-being and proper recovery for top-notch performance. That's why I'm excited that Unified Healing is sponsoring this podcast. Unified Healing is a new and super innovative global network of wellness centers powered by Energy Enhancement System, or EE System. If you haven't heard of the EE System, you'll want to listen up. This technology promotes wellness, deep relaxation, purification, and rejuvenation. At hundreds of locations across the globe, access to a center is easy and affordable. Interested in experiencing the EE system technology for yourself? Go to unifiedhealing.com slash bluewire to learn more and find a center near you. That's unifydhealing.com slash bluewire. No material or testimonials on the Unified Healing website are intended to be viewed as medical advice or a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified healthcare provider with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition or treatment and before undertaking a new healthcare regimen, including EE system.